night tonight. All right. How many of you guys are actually going to bring friends? How many of you guys? Tell me you have friends. You do have friends, right? Because I'm bringing a friend. I'm, yeah, but you know what? We've got to go outside this group because otherwise we're just inbred. It's bad. So we have to actually like have people outside of the group, you know? Yeah, we don't want to be that. So I'm actually going to bring a friend. I already got my husband. I said to him, I said, I think you should invite this person as your friend. And so he's going to call somebody too. So yeah, I'm bringing friends. And uh, we are going to have fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to spend a lot, too, way too much money, like always. But uh, you guys are worth it. That's why we try to collect money from you guys to pay for things. Um, as you can see, that's why your tushies are so nice and comfortable, because we bought the chairs. Yes. Uh, can I have the lights down just a tad bit, because it's just a little too bright, and it does all this like weird, like, weird thing in my, my glasses. A little bit. Yeah, there I can see what people look like. This is great. So, uh, yeah, anyway, next week, come and bring a friend. Sometimes I think what happens is we kind of start to get just comfortable. And uh, for some reason, uh, the Christian kids that go to Christian schools, for some reason, you guys all think that your friends are okay and that they're saved. I want you to understand half of them probably aren't. So, like, or more. Yeah, so bring them, invite them. But, you know, anybody, you know, I don't care if it's some distant cousin. One's already, the, you know, Try to be within the age around 12 to 19. Don't bring, bring in a, you know, I'm going to bring an older person. I probably will bring an older person, but, you know. But I don't really, I mean, besides you guys, I don't have very many 12-year-old friends, which is probably good. Um, so anyway, <laughs> it's probably a really a good thing. So tonight, we are going to continue on with the uh, I Am Statements of Jesus. And uh, Really interesting because this is the one that I've looked forward to teaching you the most because I just love the whole like visual of the fact that Jesus, when he calls himself the vine, I think that's a really interesting and uh, scriptural way of, of discussing it. So I was like really excited about this and I want you to understand I had the hardest time preparing this message. I don't know if I just had myself like psyched up thinking, oh, I really want to say, I want to say that. Wait, I want to tell this the point where I was like, honestly, like, oh my goodness, I don't know. So got done. Hope it works. <laughs> to all the people who listen to the podcast, hope you enjoy it. Um, we have a lot of people that listen to our podcast. You guys need to check them out. If you guys miss a week, check them out. Uh, we have people from Canada that download our messages and listen every week uh, to CYMs and also to uh, listen to Steadfast. Um, what did you say Steadfast had in within a, uh, the sex series that they had within four weeks? They had how many downloads? Shelby? Like 200 and some, or I think it was something like that. There was a lot. Yeah, I mean, there's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, but yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, people checking this out. So we want to, uh, you know, make it interesting for you, but also interesting for the listening audience. So I'm going to continue on with the message, and uh, it's out of John. Like I said, what's interesting about uh, Jesus talking about the am statements, they are in John, the chapter of John in the Bible, and uh, this is John chapter 15. He says, I am the real vine, and my father is the farmer. This is in the message translation, by the way. He cuts off every branch that doesn't bear grapes, and every branch that is grape-bearing, he prunes back so it will bear even more. You are already pruned back by the message that I have spoken. Live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, by, but only by being joined to the vine, you cannot bear fruit unless you are joined with me. goes on to say, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
when you join with me and I with you, the relation, intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make your home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my father shows who he is when you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. So I think that's just beautiful. Just beautiful. What does Jesus mean when he starts talking about vines and grapes and farmers and all these different things, you know? Interestingly enough, we understand that he used very um, normal, everyday, pertinent information, things that were going on at the time. There was a lot of people that were doing grape farming at that time. So, of course, that's what he did. He discussed those things that they understood. And uh, there was something that they could visually connect with. And also, people were at this time, they were... um, they had the knowledge of the Old Testament, the things that were spoken in Scripture long time ago, and uh, they could wrap their minds around that because there was many things that were spoken in the um, Old Testament that they were aware of, these, these Jewish people that understood what was spoken, and they understood when it was mentioned vine that they made this connection. Um, in Genesis, when Joseph interprets the dream of the cupbearer, he says, in my dream I saw a vine in front of me. In Jeremiah, it says, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How did you then turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? And in Psalm 88, it says, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and you planted it. So all this stuff is very understandable and familiar to all these people, the disciples and the people that are around this area. So very, very easily grasped. But what is it that he's exactly trying to say? Because we know God, you know, Jesus spoke in parables. And he, he said these things to really confound the wise sometimes. A lot of times the wise couldn't wrap their minds around something such a simple, simple statement. They couldn't get it. So he was trying to explain in just a very simple way. First off, the very good news that he was the promised Messiah that they'd been waiting for. You know, all this stuff was prophesied long time ago that there was going to be this, you know, amazing Messiah that was going to come and how he was going to show up and And uh, like I said, in Psalm 88, when it talks about you brought a vine out of Egypt, you drove out the nations, and you planted it. I mean, there was a line. He'd come out from, you know, the the line of David, and this whole entire plan was already in place a long time before. So, you know, he, he was mentioning that this is the one. I am the one. I am the Messiah that you've always been waiting for. The one that you've always been looking for, here I am. And uh, just like he spoke to them earlier, he mentioned that he was the shepherd, He says, I was the gate, I am the light. He's trying to explain, yes, I am the vine, the real thing. You know, the actual one, the genuine article, he is the true vine. And he was telling them, and the thing is what's interesting and what we have to understand about God's word is he's telling us right now, you've got to get past the point that you look at the Bible as a story of long ago because this is a story that he's telling us today. When we read it, he's telling us now what he is. He's not telling us a story of what happened a long time ago. It's like, yes, this is a story. He is a true vine, and he was telling the disciples. But this whole thing that he's trying to explain is that right now, where you sit, if you pick up the Bible, you look at it, he's explaining to you, he is a true vine for you. And that's what it is. It's living, breathing. That's what's amazing about God's word. He's explaining that I am the vine, and God is the farmer. God's the farmer. This is great news. This is amazing news. You know, these disciples that were wondering, they're, they're following this guy. They're living, leaving their lives behind. 
giving up everything, walking, following this man, and believing what he's saying. And basically what he's saying at that point is, you know what, you chose the right path. You know, I am. I'm, I'm the, right, I'm the bread, bread of life. You know, I am the right light of the world and the right gate and shepherd. And I do have resurrection. If you seek me, you're going to have life again. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you know what? I am the true vine. I'm all those things. And he's trying to let them know all the whole entire time because Jesus knew soon he was dying. He knew that his earthly time was going to pass really quickly. So he's trying to explain to the disciples, you know what? Everything that you did, everything that you gave up, everything that you possibly laid aside is all worth it because I am the right one. Now, can you imagine always hearing all your life that you're waiting for somebody and all of a sudden bodily you think that this is the person and then you know what? You're going to see this person that you thought was an earthly king that you thought was really going to be the answer that the whole entire plan is that he dies a natural death just like any human being. It has to be really hard to take because you're thinking, this is God. Why is he going to die less like us? But he was trying to explain to them all the time, you know what, yes, this is going to take place, but there's, it's going to be different because I get to come back. I'm coming back. Three days, I'm back. And he's trying to let them know this. So he's trying to elaborate this whole entire plan. But then what he says is he says something a little bit more harsh. And this is where people kind of get, what? Because, you know, everyone likes the good, kind stuff, don't they? We like when Jesus is like, oh, I'm your comforter, and I'm here just to pour love on you, and... You know, anything you do, I just never quit loving you. And we're all like, yeah, that's the Jesus I want. But there's another side. And he was here to explain that to him. He was trying to tell them that this more harsh statement. He tells the disciples that it's God the Father that cuts off every branch that doesn't bear grapes. Now, that might sound like, what does that mean? I don't get it. Jesus was saying that it's not just enough to recognize him as the true vine, but there's going to be an expectation from you that comes from being attached to this vine. You know, it's very important for us to get the fact that, yes, we're attached. Once we say, yes, we want to follow him, we're attached. But then what? Then what? I mean, there's some people that have been attached forever, and there's nothing. There's nothing. And you think, do you get it? Do you understand it? You know, the thing is with your spiritual walk, it's never in real amount of time. Because there's people that I've met that honestly have been serving God, supposedly, for 50 years. And you look at them and think, um, there's nothing you're producing. You're not getting anything which they're supposed to get. And I've met people who've honestly been um, really saved in such a short amount of time, months, weeks, and you already see things happening. You already see changes taking place. And there's, there's realness, there's trueness, there's life. You can sense it. You see that there's excitement. There's real, realness there. Like I said, it's not enough just to recognize him as a true vine, but there are expectations from being attached. So this got me to thinking about grapevines. And uh, I think Russell has a picture of a grapevine I kind of want to talk to you about. Um, actually, go to the other one, Russ. Huh? Yeah, that other one you had. You don't have that other one there? This is the one for pruning. I thought that the other one that you had was for the other. That's okay. If you don't have it, don't worry about it. Um, so I was, I was kind of looking into the idea of what a grapevine is and how you explain it. You know, uh, do you guys ever see wild grapes? Do you ever watch them or see them growing anywhere or anything? Do you? Who has them? Really? Cool. That's interesting. You know, we did, when we first moved into the house that we um, live in now, the next door neighbor, he had this whole big area of grapes, you know. But the thing is, if you're not taking care of grapes, they don't last. They will 
quit. They'll just stop, yeah. So I, I kind of was thinking about the fact of looking into pruning grapes and see kind of what it entails. And um, the interesting thing about that, when you read and look up on that, they tell you that you should never prune a grapevine the first year. You should basically let it just grow wild, just take off, let it do what it wants to do. You know, any way that it wants to grow the first year, do it. Just don't prune it the first year. The second year, they say to actually pick the strongest and most vigorous-looking stem off the bottom. Now, there you can see there's two or three. You can see probably there is one strongest there that's coming up. But they tell you to pick one. And then you pick the, the, all the other stems off of it. And you basically just let that one be the bottom trunk, basically the one that comes up that's going to uh, basically be the whole entire life of the plant. And so what you do is you take off the, uh, all the other plants as close to the trunk on the main stem as possible, and you stake it. You try to get it to be really um, strongly you know, anchored in so nothing's going to happen. The, the wind, the rain, the things like that aren't going to uh, destroy it. And basically the trunk is really, what God's saying is that he's the trunk. He is, Jesus is the vine. Jesus is actually the bottom part. I want you to understand, these big parts that come out, that's, that's Jesus. That's what he's trying to explain to you. Because when you look at a, a plant later on, you're going to understand what he talks about when he says, you know, I am the vine, you are the branches. So hopefully you're going to get this. All the new growth that comes out of the plant, all the branches that shoot off that, are going to be the parts that grow and develop the fruit, the part that actually develops the, the grapes. So Jesus is the true vine. Like I say, only the main trunk of the grapevine is in this picture, most of it. That's, you're only going to see the main part. You're not going to see the part. This is when, when they do prune a grapevine, um, usually they look like they're beat. They look like they're destroyed. It's kind of an interesting thing because um, you kind of look at them and you think, wow, they look so healthy before that and before you started, like, chopping them up. But they really need to be pruned back a lot to get them to produce the things that they need to produce. And uh, just like the main trunk of, the, like I say, the grapevine in the picture, um, it's not just about what Jesus has done. It's also about the fact of what the disciples are now going to have to do once they've accepted this message. You know, basically, it's up to the disciples after that, and it's up to you right now what you want to do with this. If you, God's word says you are the branches, what are you going to be? Are you going to be a person who is producing fruit? Are you going to be a person who's not? Are you going to be a person that's just kind of like laying there? There's, there's beautiful plants. Sometimes you look at a grapevine, just gorgeous, all these beautiful, luscious leaves everywhere. But unless you're pruning it back, those things just produce the vegetation. They don't produce the grapes. They won't produce the flowers, and they won't produce the grapes. So to prune actually means to cut off, remove, or take away. But the really interesting thing about to prune in the Greek language actually means to clean off, cleanse from filth, and purify. So that's pretty interesting that they actually have that same word mean, cleanse and purify. And I think that's what Jesus was trying to say when he says that you are already pruned back by the message that I have spoken. So what he's saying is you've already accepted this message. If you are a new believer, if you're a real true believer, then just accepting the message that I spoke to you, understand that in itself is what cleaned you up. You're already somewhat pruned because you're cleaned up. The filth is supposed to be removed. You know, that's what he says. He purifies our hearts. He, he turns us, you know, from, uh, you know, makes us white as snow. It's, it's that's that whole way that he explains it to us. So that's, that's the point of it. You're moving our sins and purifying us. But then what? 
You know, what happens after that? I mean, there's so many people that go up and they say that they want to follow God. Or I'll, I'll, I'll better this. Most of the time they sit there and do one of these. Do you want to accept Jesus as your Savior? Kind of. I kind of sort of do. But then when it comes time to walk, they don't want to go up. They don't want to let anybody know it. You know, the thing is, it's not going to work that way. It doesn't work that way. I'll tell you what, the best thing I ever did was take a walk in forward. On February 28, 1993, is the best steps I ever took in my life is going up and actually, like, accepting Jesus as my Savior. At the time, I didn't even understand everything it entailed. Probably if I would have known, I probably would have been a little bit more afraid. At the time, I was just kind of, like, so scared and so depressed because I was going through depression that I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do. So the only thing that I could possibly get me through it at that part, you know, I was like, it truly did become, sadly, um, the last hope that I had. And uh, I walked out of it feeling completely different, like there was something different. But there, by the very next day, I started to think, oh, that must not have been real. It must have just been emotions. It must have been this, must have been that. Because, you know, we live in a world that's so doubting that there's nothing real. I went home, and I, of course, I had a husband and kids that didn't care about anything about that because they weren't serving God. None of my family understood it. I mean, my brother, but he really wasn't, you know, close to me that much, so we didn't, you know, talk about it much. And I was, like, really excited about what happened, but didn't really understand everything. And really, just over the time, started to, to understand what this whole thing about being a branch is and what it entails and what's the point, you know. Um, basically, the important thing for us to understand and really to grasp here is that he's not just speaking to those who haven't accepted this vine. It's really for those who already have that he's saying that he can, he's going to prune you. And I think sometimes we have this idea of thinking, oh, he's, you know, God's loving, he's kind, he's not going to prune anybody's back, he's not going to make life uncomfortable for you if you've accepted him. And that's exactly what he's saying he's going to do. He says he's talking to those who are already an existing branch, ones that are already attached to the vine. You know, the branches are already, already in Christ. Those ones who've already said that they're following him. That's the ones that are going to be pruned. Not the ones who've never accepted. The ones who are there. And that is really hard for people to take. Jesus is basically saying that it's not enough just to be part of the tree. But it's our job to be fruit bearing. Grape producing. We're supposed to be producing much fruit. And he goes on to say in the message translation, live in me, make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch cannot bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you cannot bear fruit unless you are joined with me. You have to be attached. What, is, what are you holding on to? What's your stability? What's your security? What's your anchor? God the Father. God's word describes it in the message as the farmer. He expects all of us those who are outgoing and who are up in front, those who are way in the back and hiding and shy in the back, you know, those of us who are ready and willing to share something, laugh, joke, whatever, and those of us who are really, really quiet and hardly whisper, every one of us, it doesn't matter what your personality is, you are all called to bear fruit, everyone. Don't ever believe the lie just because, you know, my personality doesn't go for that. It doesn't matter. You better be bearing fruit because you know what? You're going to be pruned away and you're going to be yanked off, thrown in the fire. That's what his word says. Either you believe it or you don't. But nobody gets a free pass. There's no branch that gets the chance to just be. 
It doesn't work that way. So we don't like to speak in black and white, right and wrong. God does. God makes it clear that we're either one of two things. We're either fruitful branches or we're fruitless branches. That's the way he describes it, black and white, one, of, one or two. What are you? Start thinking about what you are right now. Are you even caring? I mean, honestly, what happens? Truthfully, we, the God's word tells us that he's going to come back. If you are a true follower of Christ, if you are a true believer, if you really are anchored to Jesus, I'm sure you have friends. I'm sure you have friends that have never accepted it. Do you want them to make it? If you believe it, do you want them to make it? Obviously, most people probably just don't really believe it. Don't think he's coming back tomorrow. Don't think he's coming back in the next minute. We don't have any. There's nothing saying that he can come back right now because God's word says that all these different things are going to take place. They've all happened. All the things have taken place. We're just waiting now. He says he's going to come like a thief in the night. We're not going to know when. All the people that prophesy and tell you when it's going to happen, no one's right because they don't have any opportunity. And just about the time, you know what, even if they did figure it out, even if they got it figured out, God's God and he ain't going to let it happen just because he's not going to let any man get him figured out. I really believe it. He's like, no, 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 no. It's going to be tomorrow then because it's not going to be when you say it is. I think these people that have said, you know, um, there's 88 reasons in 1988 why Jesus is coming back didn't happen. So there's 99 reasons in 1999 why Jesus is going to come back didn't happen. It's like, you know what? It's not up for us to make that decision. We're not supposed to be concerned about that. I think those people sometimes spend so much time and energy trying to figure out when than they are caring about their friends and whether or not they're going to make it. There's just missing out here, you know? The thing is, we don't get the right to be just a branch. We have to be a fruit-producing branch. His word says, live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch cannot bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you cannot bear fruit unless you are joined to me. This verse has great signification. I mean, it's just amazing. It's not just enough to let Jesus live inside of our hearts. But we have to let ourselves live in him like he says he lives in us. See, we, we accept Jesus as our Savior, and he says, yes, I make myself a home in you. I come live inside your heart. That's what his word says. But the problem is, is he trying to live there in your heart, but you're not even trying to live in his? You're not even caring about the things that matter to him? Are you doing, paying attention to the things of the world? I mean, honestly, we've had more earthquakes in the last two weeks than we've had in years. Do you understand that? In two weeks, go look at it, California. Look it up on the Google it, and there are earthquakes everywhere. I mean, cyclones, there's natural disasters all the time. All this stuff has been, is spoken in God's word as birth pains, birth pains of the earth. And it says at that point, Jesus can come back. Something to think about. You know, churches don't talk about it like they used to. I think because, honestly, they're ashamed. They're afraid that someone's going to think that they're crazy. You know what? I am crazy. I'll admit it. Live with my, ask my family. They live with me. They'll tell you I'm crazy. But, you know, the truth is this. I'm crazy for the things that matter, which is God. I'm passionate about it. I love Jesus with all my heart. I can't imagine living my life without having him by my side. And you know what? I just can't imagine thinking that it's okay to let all these people that we say we love just go to hell. What's the point? What's the point in that? Obviously, we don't believe it enough. So like I say, this comes to, with some work and dedication on our part. If we are really going to let ourselves live in Jesus' heart, just like he lives in our heart, we're going to have to do some work here. 
it's going to have to take some effort and energy. You know, we have to be joined with him. We have to be attached. We have to have him be the vine and us be the branches. And when we really try to start getting that, when we try to grasp it, we start to understand it, then we're going to understand that we're attached to the life flow, the real living thing. I brought a plant, and uh, I'm a plant freak. I'm a gardener. Um, I actually, I can't tell you, like two, three years ago, there was a little tiny plant. There was a secretary that we had. And uh, when she left, she gave me the plant. And I can tell you, if anybody's been in my office, you've seen this plant. This is just a small little part of it. This plant is just huge. It's all over my office. But uh, before I left my office today, I grabbed a chunk of it. And of course, because I'm a gardener at heart, I can't kill it. I know other people would have just took a scissors and do it. I can't. For a visual, I still can't kill the plant. I just can't do it. I'm sorry. So of course, I took it out by the root, even though I'm not supposed to for a visual. But um, I want to explain to you, if you're looking at Jesus and what he says he is, understand that this is Jesus right here. This itself is the vine. This is the part that's feeding. You see, this is where the, the roots go down. There's strength that's reaching into the soil. This is the stuff that's feeding. The whole entire plant is this root right here. This is it. If we cut this part off, you know what? It may be healthy. It might look good for a day, two days, even maybe a week. But eventually it's going to die. It's not going to live. It won't live because it doesn't have anything to sustain it. It doesn't have a way to support itself. It doesn't have a way to get water. It doesn't have a way to get the, the energy and the nutrients that it needs. And that's just like it is with us when we're following after Jesus. If we're not anchored to him, you're not going to make it. You have to have something that you're feeding off of, the energy. That's what we have to be. We have to be attached to the vine, which is Jesus. What are you attached to? What flows through you? What do you get your energy and your excitement from? What is it? A lot of people are out there, their branches are attached to friends, families, sports, school, grades. They're way more attached. That's where their life flow comes from. That's what they're most attached to. You know, I'm married. I have to balance my time and my energy. But my husband knows, and my husband feels the same way I do, that truthfully, who our closest person, who the thing that we're closest to is Jesus, separately. I am, he's my life. And thankfully, it took seven years, but John feels the same way. That's his life. That's what is most important. Together, we work it out. But it's the most important thing in my life is to serve Jesus. We need to be more intimately connected to God. It can't be what you're doing on a daily basis, just getting up and just existing and surviving. It's not going to be working that way. We have to be cleansed by his word, that's what's so important about reading his word. Um, as his followers, as his true followers, we need to read. We need to pay attention to what God's word is telling us. We need to actually change in the fruit bearers. It's, it's the whole point of it. You know, when you sit there and you think about this reading God's word, sometimes, honestly, you're reading and you're thinking, is this really making a difference? It does. It does. It makes all the difference in the world because it does something inside of us. It changes us. It makes us, there's something, it's, it's a living, breathing, it's, it's energy that does something for us. God's word is living. You know, it points out those areas. I've read in the Bible before where I'm like, oh, I don't even know if this is really something. All of a sudden, God will point out something to me. 
this is really important for you to notice right now because this is something where you're at, you know. And then there's times where it's like you're really down, you're depressed, you don't know if you can go on, and all of a sudden there's a little bit of encouragement, you know, that you recognize somebody else is encouraged, and you're like, you know, that's an encouragement to me to think that that could be my life. There's times where I get very, very frustrated, and there'll be another person in the Bible that's gone through battles way worse than mine, and I think, you know what? This is doable. Look what they put up with. I can do this. Comforts us, shows us love, compassion, gentleness, correction. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times they've been corrected by reading God's word when I least expected it, thought I was good, there's all great, you're doing fine, and all of a sudden God will point out something like, yeah, right here, not so hot. Get this figured out. All those things help us to grow fruit. Reading God's word on a daily basis every single day. I don't care if you start with a sentence. Do something. Start somewhere. It is your life. It's your lifeblood. It's what you get. It's your anchor. Jesus is the anchor. It has to be. And I don't want you, do not tell me that I have to do this in school. doesn't matter. Then it doesn't count. Because you know what? I don't get to use my studies. I'm studying and get my pastorate. You know what? I don't count my pastorate, all my studying I do for that. I don't ever count it as my Bible reading time. Ever. Because that's what I'm doing to feed my schooling and also my lessons. This is to teach you. It's not to teach me. I have to do something personally on my own to let it be me, what God's going to teach me. Yes, he teaches me through things that I'm preparing for lessons for, maybe you guys or through studies. But it has to be something separate because that's when he works on your heart, you know? So we have to grow fruit. I thought it was pretty interesting. You know, we always talked about the fact that, you know, what our name was, Graper. I'm like, I kind of like my name more than I thought. You know, I went from a savage to a graper. I was really disappointed because I really liked the name Savage. I liked Savage much better. I thought it was way cooler. Growing up, I loved my name. I was a little disappointed when I took the name Graper. But I thought, you know what? I guess if they can look at it like producing fruit, grapes, I guess I can look at it that way, even though it doesn't necessarily mean it. What does it mean? Potter. Still, not bad. I'll take that too. There's, there's scriptural things in that, I guess. But, you know, his word says when our relationship is intimate, then the harvest is going to be abundant. But separated, we cannot produce a thing. In Galatians 5.22, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So those things that are good fruit are going to be produced when we start to really anchor ourselves to Jesus. Those are the things that are going to start working. I'm going to tell you, I've not got everything figured out. No way. I think I'm pretty loving. I think I get a lot of joy. Peace? Yeah. Patience? No. I'm not a very patient person. I think I'm fairly kind. All right, good. Eh, sometimes faithful. Gentleness, self-control, forget it. I'm not so hot at that. Not so hot. I'm doing better. Doing better. But you know what? There's things that you realize that you're producing all the time. It's one of those things that you don't all of a sudden accept Jesus and all of a sudden everything's in order. It's a constant work. It's a striving for perfection. It's trying to develop these things in your life. And over time, he shows you things that you're developing. You know, but you have to stay attached to the vine, and then you're going to produce more and more fruit, is what it says. Separated from the vine, can't produce a thing. God's word says, anything and anyone separated from me is nothing but dead wood, gathered up, thrown on the bonfire. We all know that. I mean, how many of you guys pick up this huge, heavy log? I mean, I, I have fires all the time in my yard. I'm a fire freak. I love to have fires, and uh, I'm saving someday for a fireplace in my house, but... I already went out like two, three times this year, already building fires and sitting out there and reading and having my coffee. 
love to sit up by the fire. But, you know, you pick up these humongous, heavy logs. They weigh so much, and they're so hard to carry over there. You put it on the fire, and, I mean, with, honestly, within a half an hour, you look, and it's like there's nothing there almost. I mean, it's amazing when you think of how quickly such a heavy log can burn up in nothingness. You know, we're just dead wood if we're not doing anything for God. In Jesus' day, a grape owner, a grape grower or a fruit grower would not tolerate a tree that doesn't produce fruit. Just wouldn't tolerate. It would be a waste of space. You know, Jesus spoke of it himself. He said in Luke 13, 6 and 7, he says, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now that I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I've never found any, cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? I want you to get this part. You do not have all the time in the world to produce fruit. Don't have it. I just think that there's this idea in Christianity that we just think that we've got all the time in the world. Jesus says three years, this, this thing here, three years, and then all of a sudden he's like, you know, get rid of it. Pull it out, throw it out. Let's use the soil for something else. If you want the message, you want to do something with it, do it. If you don't want it, you know what? Understand he's not going to be patient and waiting for you to develop fruit forever. You think you might have time? You better start developing something because he's watching. He's paying attention. Because we have a God that is actually very intimate and involved in our lives. It's not a God that's distant and uncaring. He watches us. He pays attention to us. He helps us. He cares. Another time, Jesus walked up to a fig tree and found nothing on it but leaves. And he says to it, may you never bear fruit again. And the tree withers dies immediately the disciples were amazed by this you know wow you have the power to do this yes jesus has the power to do this the thing is we never know the last time that we say we're not going to do something for god we don't know when the power ends when we're done when we have the opportunity but you know after a while he says our hearts are hardened and we just don't notice we don't care the next time that he offers up salvation to us he doesn't we don't care when he says do this for somebody else and then all of a sudden you know what he says you're done tree withers you're done and then you'll be nothing but firewood we do not remain in jesus keeping him as a true vine sustaining ourselves from him being watered and fed by him then we're going to become just nothing like withered branches that have no use whatsoever no use except to maybe warm a few people on a cold night jesus uses this point in the very next chapter telling us i've loved you the way my father has loved me make yourself at home in my love if you keep my commands you'll remain intimately at home in my love that's what I've done, kept my father's commands and made myself at home in his love. God, the father, the farmer, loves his son Jesus. Like I said, some of you Christians, some Christians out there listening, think that God is going to love you no matter what, forever and ever and ever. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, you think you have all the time, God's going to love me and it's going to be fine. Well, I kind of see it like this. I don't think that God ever ceases to love us because I think he loves us, no doubt about it. But I think that we lose our intimacy with him when we don't keep his commands. There's commandments that he sets before us. When we don't keep those in our mind, if we don't pay attention, if we don't honor the fact of honoring our mother and father and, and lies and all the different things that he tells us, those ten, you know, those ten things, if we don't do those, what happens is we lose our intimacy with, with God, with Jesus. And then our sins, they kind of cause us to feel indifferent. The next time we go into church, we're like, eh, I don't really feel anything. I'm just kind of tired. I'm going to sleep through service. That's what I'm going to do. You know, it doesn't matter to me. It's no big deal, you know. 
You know what? <laughs> it just makes me sad. It just makes me sad for people. Because you know what? You feel indifferent. You don't feel him. You don't think he hears your prayers. And he probably doesn't because over time, he's not listening. You're not saying anything of worth. And we lose our desire for him. We really lose our desire. I pray to God. There's parts in the Bible that says, you know, God, take not the Holy Spirit from me. Never take it away. That's how I feel. I don't ever want to be on my own again. I lived that life. It was worthless. The problem is, you know what? You're going to have to get perspective. Most of you think, ah, I'm just young. I want you to know every one of you people. It's so disappointing to me to watch people at your age sometimes because I love you so much, but honestly, the most annoying people sometimes in my life that I have to deal with because the fact is that you don't recognize that the majority of the people in the Bible that were called to do anything for God were your age. They were your age. This is the age they were called to do it. Mary, 13. Joseph, David, they were little tiny kids, and they were called to do great things for God. But for some reason, somebody has told you a lie, and you believe it. You believe that you have the opportunity and the opportunity just to sit back, relax, and someday, someday do something for Jesus. It's not the case. It's not the case. What happens if he comes back tomorrow? You wasted it. You did nothing. You didn't produce anything. And you sure didn't produce anything in anybody else's life and help them get anywhere. So we need to stay connected to the vine. Jesus says, I've kept my father's commands and I made myself at home in his love. Our sin will disconnect us from the vine. We will become nothing but firewood. He lets us decide how much fruit we're going to bear. His desire is that we bear much fruit, much good fruit. Because there's bad fruit. There's bad fruit that we can do. You know, bad fruit is, is sometimes... Uh, very much noticeable on people. It isn't just about the good. I told you back uh, a while back that, you know, it is our job um, to notice some things about people. God's word says it is. Most society will tell us it's, we're not supposed to judge. We're not supposed to judge people. Not supposed to judge people is what the world says. God's word says you're not to judge the unbelievers, the people who are not saved. We're not supposed to judge them because their eyes have never been opened to the truth. But God does tell us to judge people by their fruit if they say that they are. If they actually claim it, they say that they're living it. Then you know, these are the people that are attached. These are the branches. They're attached to the vine. They're saying that they believe it. They're saying that they're involved. God's going to prune them, yes. They're going to get pruned. It's going to be the ones that are going to be the noticeable ones. You know what? The thing is, God's going to prune them. We have to be wary. We have to watch people. God's word says to be careful, pay attention to what's going on in the world. Pay attention to the people who are around us. He says be wary as snakes and harmless as doves. Do the things that are going to be led by the Holy Spirit, but also be smart about the things that you're going to do. You know, all these things are important. God started talking about fruit at the very beginning of creation. Told Adam and Eve right off the bat, you know, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it. Increase, be fruitful. Of course he meant numbers of people at the time because they were the only two. Of course, that's what he wanted. He wanted there to be more people. And uh, that's, that's important for us. But what ended up happening is after this whole entire thing, when you have the second Adam, which is what Jesus is called in the Bible sometimes, the second Adam, when he comes, that message never changed. It never changed at all. It's still, he still told him in Mark 4, he said, be fruitful. And he told us to increase in number two. 
You know, he says here that we're supposed to hear the word of God. In Mark, it says uh, we're supposed to hear the word of God, accept it, go on to produce a crop of 36 or even 100 times what was sown to us. That's what it's supposed to be about. It's not just us, yes, good fruit, what we produce, showing people love, compassion, joy, peacefulness, self-control. All those things are important. But the thing is also, if we're, you know, to be sharing this message with other people. You know, when we produce those kind of things, when we produce that good fruit, there's going to be no one that cannot be drawn to the truth. If we're really showing it to people, if we're really representing it, you know, the thing is, they're going to be drawn to his love. They're going to produce it too. Those people are going to be just like so willing and wanting to produce those good fruits themselves. People don't produce fruit in a harvest a lot of times, though, because they really truly don't have any fruit inside of them at all. They don't do anything for God. I've watched these people come in and out every single week sometimes, and I'm just like, wow. It's just a shame. Most of the time they just have something negative to say. Walk in, walk out, or run in, run out. And this is, you know, some of the ones that we've sat around here a lot of times. I've sat at other churches. I've just watched. Yeah, interesting thing to do is go to some church services sometimes. Just watch when the church service is going to start. Watch the people run in and watch the clock and watch them run out and you think boy they put their time and they think that mattered because that doesn't matter all that stuff honestly it means nothing he says be obedient sacrificing your time being here on a wednesday night you know what yes we want you to be here we want you to understand what it's about but you being here does nothing but give us a number it doesn't help you at all i mean granted i hope that some part of the message gets through to you because god's word does say that it his word never goes off void. It just keeps going forever. But your time is worth nothing. It really isn't. It's whether or not you're obedient on the rest of the time that's going to make the difference in your life. That's what's going to make the difference. I want you to understand, when we talk about next week with being a, you know, no foe, foe show. <laughs> I'm not good with it as much as they are. I want you to understand that, yes, the reason why we're doing this is because CYM is the vine. It's attached like Jesus. You guys are the branches. You guys are the ones who are going to go out and tell your friends. I'm not in school. The only kids I hang out with are you guys. I mean, I'm not hanging out with, you know, tons of kids all the time. You know, it's not the people I hang out with. But understand, you are the branches to reach those people. I'm sure there's somebody. I mean, honestly, I don't think you're that lonely, are you, that you have nobody in your life? There has to be somebody that you can tell that you really care about, that you want them to understand who Jesus is. Just want you to really be challenged about this. You know, it's not enough to just be part of the vine. Don't sit back and think, you know what, I accepted Jesus and I get to go to heaven now. God's word says you have to produce fruit. So you better understand that there's more to it than just that. It's not just going to be enough to sit back and just wait until Jesus shows up. Because we have to be ac accountable. We all have to stand and listen to what he says. When he asks us, God asks us the question, what have you done with my son? What did you do? Did you share the message? Did you do anything with it? That's the question that's going to be asked. So I want to pray for you. Like always. I want you to understand that... Um, it's one of those messages that's not really fun to tell. It's so great if I could be up here all the time just talking about how much Jesus loves you. Jesus does love you. You know what? There is just a standard 
that they're supposed to have here. Honestly, there's so many people. They're so hit and miss and so out of it. Honestly, sometimes I think that, you know, when God's Word talks about we're fighting a battle, I'm thinking, man, I don't know if I want to go into battle with a lot of these people. Because I don't know if they really have the energy to fight anything. You know, I, I hope to God there's going to be people like there is on the mountaintop that are holding up arms that you can fight because, you know, there's a scripture verse where they're talking about you have to hold up the arms of the, the, the servant so that, that the people fighting against it would be able to uh, win the battle, you know, because it's a spiritual battle. But sometimes I look at the people and I'm thinking, man, are you even fighting for anything? Are you doing anything or are you just existing? Are you just living? Because we have to be worried and concerned about dying. That's what we really do need to think about. Jesus talked more about hell than he talked about heaven. All right. Well, Lord, I just pray that you just be with each person that's here tonight. I just pray that um, you would really just, Lord, deposit this into their heart. I just pray, Father, that you would just help each person that's listening. Lord, that they understand what they're called to do. I just pray that there would be some challenge in their spirit, Lord, something that would make them really reach out to you and really just ask, Father, that you would just help Help them, Lord, to uh, just be able to produce fruit, Lord, to just really get grounded in your word, to read it, to let you purify them in their spirits, Lord, to uh, be drawn to your truth. And I just pray that you would just help them, Lord, to really reach out and ask for help if they need it. I just ask, Father, that you would just help each person here if they don't know who you are, if they've never accepted you as Savior. Lord, that they would go up to somebody and uh, that's here tonight that's uh, a leader and actually ask them to pray with them or do this at home. I just pray that you would just help each person here, help their families, Lord, be with them. We just ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.